What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Milner, and today I have a heavy and important episode for you. Now, something tragic happened. Not really tragic, but to me, it was tragic because I wrote an email about this topic, and I'm talking about binge eating, emotional eating, stress eating, something that I get asked all the time. How do I stop? How do I stop binge eating? How do I stop emotional eating? How do I stop stress eating? And I wrote a whole email about it. And for some reason, on that day, my email provider, I use a program called Entreport. I'm not putting them on blast. I'm just saying they kind of dropped the ball. And there was all these issues with the email deliverability, and it did not land in very many inboxes. So me being the problem solver that I am, I figured I had to do an entire episode on this topic because it's too important. The people that did get the email responded, and we had some great dialogue. We had some great back and forth about this topic. So I know that it landed. I know that it's an important conversation that we need to have. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, on that day, the email just did not hit very many inboxes. So we're adaptive Things happen, stuff happens that's out of our control, and all we can do is find another path forward, which is why I think it's really important that we have options in life. If you have a plan that is only one directional, meaning you have no other path, like if you put a a destination into your GPS and you only have one way of getting there, that is a very risky plan because what happens if there's a road closure or something comes up and you can't, for whatever reason, take that path. Well, now you're screwed. You have no other way of getting to your destination. So as we often do in the beginning of this show, we like to go on tangents around here. That's my first tangent. Have some optionality with pursuing your goals. There's not just one way. There's actually an infinite number of ways. It just depends on you and what you're trying to accomplish. So this is me opening up another path to delivering this message because it was not successfully delivered via email. And rather than just resending the same message and hoping that it was, uh, it got through this the second time, I'm just going to talk about it right here. If you enjoy this, this is an important conversation. It's a heavy topic. So I would really appreciate some feedback. I know I ask this every time, but it truly means a lot. Like from the bottom of my heart means a lot when you Tell me if you enjoy the content, the episode in particular, or the show in general. The best way to let me know about the show itself is by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us grow. We've got a lot of momentum right now, some new listeners, people finding the show through just random searches and things like that. Um, but it really also helps when you, when you share an episode directly and you're like, hey, friend, colleague, family member. I really love this episode. I think you would enjoy it too. Here's the link so you can listen. That would be awesome. And then I want, I want to know, like, if this episode resonates with you in any way, you can post it to your stories on Instagram. You just take a screenshot. Like right now, you take the screenshot of yourself listening, right? It's on your phone or if you're listening in your car or whatever, you just take the picture, And then you post it to your stories on Instagram and you tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. 
All right, so let's get into the topic. We're talking about binge eating. We're talking about emotional eating. We're talking about stress eating. I've done podcasts on this before, but I'm coming at it from a slightly different perspective this time around. Before I dive in, I always have to make this disclaimer. I am not a therapist. I am not an eating disorder specialist. Myself and my team, we do not treat or cure eating disorders. That should be handled by a professional who actually handles that specific, like my sister. My oldest sister is a therapist who specializes in eating disorders. She is qualified to treat and cure eating disorders. I am not. My team does not do that. We work in conjunction with therapists and psychologists. So if you are recovering and you're going to therapy and you're getting help specifically for an eating disorder, you're in recovery, we can help with all of the other aspects of nutrition, fitness, and mindset. But I want to make it very clear that we do not treat or cure eating disorders. However, I think that this perspective needs, because there's the eating disorder side of things, but then there's also just the overindulgence side of things where we might label it as binge eating, but it's not truly binging, or we might just overindulge due to stress or due to heightened emotions. And those are all things that can be dealt with through quality coaching. So there is a line, there is a line, and it's important to know yourself and to know your situation. If you need particular um, and specific help for an eating disorder, you should seek out therapy or professional. If it's more of a mindset thing and you're trying to instill better habits and you find yourself self-sabotaging on occasion, overindulging on occasion, eating out of boredom or stress or emotional eating, that is stuff that quality coaching can handle. Now, you have to be careful because part of this episode, I'm going to explain something very important. I'm going to explain why most coaches are ill-equipped to handle things like this. And that is not a knock on anybody in particular. I know that a lot of coaches listen to this show. You're probably tightening your butt cheeks right now because you're like, oh shit, is he going to call me out? I might. I might be calling you out. That's not me putting you down. That is me trying to level you up. I don't have everything figured out. What I've learned is that the more I learn, the more questions I have and the less answers I have, which is how it should be. I don't claim to have it all figured out, but I do know that there are several, I would say the large majority of coaches are coaching in a way that is ineffective. And I'm going to explain it. I'm not just going to state this and make, this is my opinion. Again, this is my opinion. I'm going to state it in a way that hopefully helps you to understand what you need to do to level up as a coach. And if you are looking for a coach, hopefully this will give you some perspective on what to look for in a coaching program. And if you've had unsuccessful experiences with coaching, this will be especially important for you because this should clear up a lot of confusion and give you some massive light bulb moments as to why those coaching programs didn't work. And I'm not going down the path of, oh, diets are, meant, are, are designed to fail. 
I'm not talking just about diet programs. I'm talking about actual coaching. And yes, even quality, even, even actual coaching, quality humans with the right intent sometimes are ill-equipped to handle things like this. And I'm going to explain it. I'm not just going to state it as fact. I'm going to explain my opinion. But before I do that, I have to go through this whole process of binge eating, stress eating, emotional eating. How do we stop it? Why does it happen? It's all kind of the same bucket. And, the, and, and what I think most people identify with is that when you do it, it creates this icky feeling, for lack of a better word, internally, because when you say you want something and then you do something outside of that, you're acting out of alignment right? You say you want something and then your actions tell a different story. Internally, that is a very, uh, I don't even know the word to describe it because I keep thinking icky in my head, but that's a horrible adjective. It's just not a good feeling. It feels like there's this internal tug of war that's happening. And a lot of times it can be associated with feelings of guilt and shame and and self-judgment. Why am I this way? Why can't I be better? Why do I sabotage myself? What's wrong with me? Right? You start questioning yourself. You start losing confidence. You start associating yourself with failure. You start defining yourself as a failure. All of these feelings are very difficult to cope with and to process. And any like anybody who's ever said like I want to be healthy and fit and then overindulged and ate emotionally and stress and and was eating out of stress and boredom, we can all identify with that feeling, right? You say you want this, but then your actions tell a different story, but it's not like you, it's not like you really wanted to do those things. It's not like you were like, yes, I want to, to binge this weekend. I want to overindulge. I want to eat out of, you know, stress and emotion and boredom, whatever it may be. Nobody is like raising their hand saying, I want to do these things. It happens. And then because you say you want to be healthy and fit, you start questioning yourself and it creates this internal turmoil. I guess that would have been a better word than icky. It's a tumultuous feeling. Um, So we can all recognize that. We've all been there. If you've never been there, then congratulations. You are truly a unicorn. But I think we can all relate to saying we want something and then acting out of alignment and feeling this internal conflict as to like, why am I that way? Why did I do that? Like, what the hell? What's wrong with me? And oftentimes, if you are working with a coach, it's possible that you've been told to just be more compliant. It's, it's possible that the coach that you were working with was like, hey, you know, you said you want this thing, but you're not being compliant with the plan. And I told you what your macros should be. And then here you go binging on the weekend and overindulging. And like, if you want this goal, you better tighten up. And you've probably told yourself, I need to be more disciplined. I need to be better. I need more willpower, right? I know a lot of you are probably nodding along because I've been there. I know that feeling. It still happens, by the way. I still find myself in moments of eating due to stress, eating due to emotions, overindulging, and then being like, 
what the hell is wrong with me? Why did I just do that? Now, I, fortunately, I have the tools to turn the page quicker than I did before, but this will hopefully create some awareness as to why it's happening and how to stop it. And we're not trying to stop it permanently, meaning the objective is not to be perfect. The objective is not to eliminate this from your life forever. That's unrealistic. The objective is to recognize it sooner, be open about it sooner, and take action on it sooner. If we can do those things, then we're winning. Okay, so the first thing that we have to address when it comes to binge eating, stress eating, emotional eating, is what are you getting out of it and or what are you avoiding by doing it? And this can be a really uncomfortable question to ask yourself because it feels like a negative. So your, your initial instinct is like, well, I'm not getting anything out of it. It makes me feel like shit. I feel terrible when I do that. I'm not getting, this is serving no purpose. I get nothing from it other than feelings of guilt and shame. And I gain weight and I hate myself for it. And I want it to stop. That's the initial instinctual reaction that most people have. Like, what do you mean I'm getting something out of this? I'm not getting any, it's moving me further away from my goals. I feel like a failure. I feel shame. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. But there's actually something that you are getting from it. And this is an uncomfortable thing. Don't try to solve it right now. As I'm saying it, this will require space, reflection, maybe some journaling, some time to yourself. You have to sit with this open loop and don't just try to close it right away. So what are you gaining from doing it? And, um, the reason why this is so important, I was, I was listening to a psychologist who was speaking about alcoholics and drug addicts. And she was talking about the connection between the substance and, and like what it delivers for them. And oftentimes we think in very similar terms, like, well, that's destructive. Doing drugs is destructive. Alcohol is destructive, especially when consumed at that level when you have an alcoholic who's over-consuming, right? So we often think, you know, this is, this is destructive. This is a terrible behavior that we want to get rid of, but it's, it's serving some purpose. It's providing you something or it's helping you to avoid something. Now, the, the psychologist used an example of a client that she worked with who was an alcoholic. And what they were able to uncover is that this guy used to go like the only connection that he had really with his dad was through drinking. Um, his dad would always go out to bars and when he was old enough, he would go with him. And that was like their bonding time. And then his dad passed away and he started going to the bars like by himself and became an alcoholic. And he never connected the dots that drinking made him feel closer to his father. And now his father's gone. And he was relying on alcohol and beer as the connection to feel closer to his father who had passed away. And once they were able to identify that, this is, this is what alcohol is doing for you. This is how it's serving you. It is serving a means of connection to your father. And because of that, they were able to then logically come to the conclusion that alcohol is not the only connection that they had that there was actually plenty of other ways in which they connected and he could lean on those. And so he gradually was able to see that 
alcohol is just one way that I felt connected, but it's not the only way. And I don't need to lean on that as the only way to feel a connection to my father who has now passed away. Okay. That, that was just one example that I was listening to um, a psychologist explain. Now, if you think about that with food, of course, it carries over in the same way. Food can absolutely be a connection to a loved one. Let's say when you were younger and you had a bad day, your mom was like, hey, I'm going to make you your favorite pasta, your favorite mac and cheese, your favorite whatever, like special recipe that probably wasn't the best quality, right? It was the comfort food, right? It's called comfort food for a reason. And that was something that you grew accustomed to as, you know, when you were younger and it, and it created a connection to your mom. And then if your mom happened to pass away and you find yourself overindulging on this particular comfort food, it could be serving you as a means of connection. But remember, just like the alcoholic example, it's not the only way that you connected with your mom. So you can identify other ways now that you know what it's doing for you or what you're avoiding by doing it, because it could be a means of avoidance, right? If you have some problems that you're, that are left undealt with, you might be turning to food as a way of filling the void, even though it's not really filling the void, but you could be avoiding your problems by turning to food. So you have to identify what is it doing for you and, or what are you avoiding by doing it? And once you have that answer, you can replace the food, the alcohol, the drugs, whatever it may be, with something more productive. If it's a means of connection, how else did you connect with that loved one? And the connection piece is just one example. It could literally be serving any, any purpose. It could be giving you um, a sense of control when everything around you in your life feels like it's spiraling. Maybe food is, is a control piece. Like, when you're eating out of emotion, you might feel like you can't control your thoughts and, and emotions and your brain is running wild. And then you find yourself eating and overindulging. Maybe the food is, is a means of control. Like this is something that I know it's, it's predictable, it's reliable, and it's here. There's very little effort to get to it, right? So you've now have that control now, I've seen this play out on the other end where it's not overindulging. Like when I was going through my divorce, I felt like my life, because I was moving across the country after having just moved across the country, and I felt like my life was kind of spiraling. Like I didn't have control over a lot of things. I controlled my nutrition and fitness in a very strict and almost obsessive way. So I was chronically under eating. I was losing weight left and right. I was controlling my food in a different way, but it's the same concept here. Once you identify that it's being, it's serving you in a means of control, then you can seek to replace that with something more productive. Like I'm going to control other areas. I'm going to set up certain routines and structure, and I'm going to use other things as a means of control, because that's the void that this is filling right now in my life. And it's, it sounds easy and it's really not, it's, it's simple, but it's certainly not easy because it's a, it's a process. You have to first identify, which is difficult for a lot of people because it, it really requires some deep introspective thinking and journaling and quiet time in your own head and 
a lot of people don't want to face their own problems. So that's the first step. And then once you've identified how it's serving you, then you actually have to put in the work because awareness, behavioral awareness is only step one. Behavioral awareness does not mean a thing if you don't do anything about it. So just being aware, it's a great first step. Don't get me wrong, but it's meaningless unless you take the necessary action. If you want to, it's a choice. If you want to, once you're aware, then you can take the necessary action to overcome that habit to say, you know what? The way that I'm stress eating, the way that I'm binge eating, the way that I'm emotional eating, it's not serving me. It's serving this particular purpose, but overall in my health and wellness journey, it's not serving me. So I'm going to take action on replacing it with something that's more productive. And then there's the actual work that needs to be done. And if it's something that's a little bit deeper, like it could be trauma related, you know, then it's going to take a lot of work. Then, you know, you might need to uh, get some professional help and work with a therapist alongside of a nutrition coach, having people in your corner to identify, to help you identify and unpack these things is, is really valuable. But understand that most, most coaches will often just look at the compliance side of things and say, well, you're not being compliant with the plan. You should, you should try harder. You should do better. Do you really want this? Is this important to you? If this is, if this is a priority, then you would just do it. Uh, there is a, a concept called um, intentional change theory. And it's a psychologist by the name of Richard Boyatzis, uh, B-O-Y-A-T-Z-I-S. And he talks about intentional change theory in the ways that people change their behavior. And what does it actually take to make lasting change? And this is where, this is where I explain to you why you may have had poor experiences with, with coaches. And if you're a coach listening to this, you should pay attention. This is really important. What Richard Boyatzis and his colleagues discovered, and they did research um, over five decades, so it's like over 50 years to come up with intentional change theory, ICT, to understand what, what leads to lasting change. And what he identified was that compliance coaching is highly ineffective. So what does that mean? If, if we're talking about fitness, right, and you're working with a coach and the coach tells you to get to the gym three days a week and you get to the gym once a week and then a coach has you fill out a form and you're like, I only got to the gym once a week. And then the coach looks at your compliance and was like, hey, uh, you were only 33% compliant this week. What the hell? We need better compliance. That level of coaching is highly ineffective. It doesn't work. This has been proven in psychology research, over 50 years of psychology research, that compliance coaching is highly ineffective. Now, think about that. Like, I'm going to use my previous employer as an example. I used to work for a coaching company. A lot of you know who they are. I'm not saying this to blast them. I think that, you know, when I bring this up, it's simply to illustrate a beautiful example of what not to do and why certain programs are so ineffective. Like, we shouldn't just 
say, oh, this is a terrible program and, and talk shit about them. We should identify when there is a program with a shockingly low success rate, we should identify what's happening. Why is that the case? What can we learn from that? Because we can learn a lot from failure just as much as we can from success. And this is, it makes so much sense. Like once I started reading about intentional change theory, and you can just look it up for yourself, just Google intentional change theory, Richard Boyatzis, um, you'll be blown away. If, if any of you did that program, you'll be blown away with, with how much sense this makes because they are only compliance coaching. Like you put in your macros and if you don't hit your macros, they mark you as red, like you failed. That's compliance coaching. And then when they do their quote unquote check-ins, it's like, be better about hitting your macros, be better at hitting your steps, be better at hitting your whatever. Like they'll say shit like sodium and fiber and all this other stuff. It's purely compliance coaching. So now the light bulb should be going off. It doesn't work. We know that compliance coaching is highly ineffective. Now, when I say that, it doesn't mean that we can't identify a disconnect between your, your plan, right? What you, what you want to accomplish and what you're actually doing. But simply saying like, hey, you got a red score. This is a failure or do better at being compliant. That will never work. So what intentional change theory identified was that there's kind of five discoveries that are necessary and they're constantly happening as we grow and evolve and make lasting change. The first step is your ideal self and personal vision, meaning who is the person that I want to become. The second step is your real self and its comparison to the ideal self. So you have to know yourself first, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. By the way, this should also ring a bell. If you've worked with us and you understand that we do a personality assessment, we take into consideration your neurotype in this entire process, this should sound familiar. So first we have your ideal self, your personal vision. Who do you want to become? What do you want to achieve? What does that look like? What does your life look like? The real self and its comparison to the ideal self is the second discovery. So your strengths, your weaknesses, where are we at with the gap between where you are and where you want to be? The third is an actual agenda and plan. So now we actually have a plan in place to bridge that gap. The fourth is that we experiment. This is key. We experiment with new behaviors, thoughts, feelings, perceptions. We see how things are going, right? Which this is why, like with coaches who are so rigid and with clients who expect to be rigid, it's really a slippery slope. There is an infinite number of possibilities to get to where you want to be. We have to find out what makes the most sense for you as an individual. So this experimentation phase is like, how are we feeling with our plan? How are we feeling with all of the things that we're doing? What are the behaviors look like? Is this something that you can see yourself doing forever? What are your thoughts about yourself? Right? We have to have this collaboration in order to solve the problem. And then the fifth step is actually having people in place to enable and facilitate this change. Accountability, coach, family members, right? It has to 
There has to be an environmental and relationship piece of this where you're supported through the process. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have unwavering support from your spouse or unwavering support from all of your friends. It means you need some level of enabling through this process of change, which is why most people should hire a coach who understands this stuff. And this, these discoveries happen all the time. It's not a linear process. But this, this also brings up the point about when we are trying to create these changes, whether it's losing 20 pounds, whether it's overcoming binge eating, stress eating, emotional eating, when we are making these changes, we are dealing with adaptive problems. We are not dealing with technical problems. Understanding this difference is really important. I think that a lot of coaches are technicians, and I'll explain what I mean by that. A technical problem is very clear, and it's in, in the sense that it's kind of black and white. A technical problem is like, I stepped on a rusty nail, I got tetanus, I need a tetanus shot. A technician who is qualified to assess that technical problem They have to be an expert in their field. It's very detailed. They're an expert and they can just give me the solution. That's a technical problem. I stepped on a rusty nail. I got tetanus. I need a tetanus shot. That's my solution. It's very black or white. Um, Even with something like weight loss, a lot of coaches treat it like a technical problem. I need to lose 20 pounds. I have high cholesterol. I have type two diabetes, whatever it may be. And the, and the coach is like, well, I'm an expert in my field. This is the problem. Here's your solution. And they give you a very technical solution, which is eat this much, work out this much, and here's your plan. Like it's a treatment plan, right? The same way that if you were, God forbid, diagnosed with cancer, you would get a cancer treatment plan from an oncologist, right? You you need somebody who is an expert in the field to solve a technical problem. It's pretty black and white. Here's the problem. Here's your treatment plan. Adaptive problems are dynamic and they require some thoughts of gray. It's not black and white. It is context dependent, right? And a lot of technical problems require adaptive solutions in addition to technical solutions. In the cancer example, you have your technical solution, right? Your, the expert tells you, here's your treatment plan. The adaptive solution is we have to talk about stuff like getting your affairs in order and how do you communicate this news with your family and how are you coping with this diagnosis? These are all adaptive solutions, right? It, it's taking, you have the technical solution, but then it's taking it a step further and saying it's literally not just about the treatment plan because, right, like let's, let's shift over to the weight loss example. Okay, you need to lose 20 pounds. So you get a coach who's a technician and they say, this is your plan, just follow it. We already know compliance coaching doesn't work, but whatever. Aside from that, they're being very technical in the solution. There's adaptive problems that come up, which is how does this fit within your lifestyle? Who do we need to communicate with to make this work? What does this look like for your family dynamic? What does this look like for your work schedule? 
There are adaptive solutions that need to be integrated into the technical solution. I, I really hope that there are a lot of light bulb moments going off right now because this should explain why a lot of coaching programs don't work. They fail to address the adaptive problems and only look at the technical problems. The adaptive problem is like, if you have to break some, some horrible news to your six-year-old, there's no blueprint for that, right? Like, let's say there's a death in the family. Again, I, I don't know why I'm using so many awful examples, but I apologize. Um, I'm trying to think of something that really illustrates the point. So I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but I mean, we all deal with it, right? At some point, there's a death in the family and you have a young child and you have to break the news to your, let's just say your eight-year-old daughter. What's the solution? Well, the solution can be incredibly different and vast across different child dispositions. So it would require an adaptive solution of what is this child like? What has their life been like? How do they respond to certain things? You know, what are, what's their personality like? What's the family dynamic like? It's not black and white. There's no blueprint that says, here you go. Here's the technical solution for solving this problem. It is an adaptive problem that requires an adaptive solution. When we are dealing with clients trying to lose weight, it's not simply, here's your plan. Now go be compliant. It's, here's the plan. Now we're going to go into discovery mode and we're going to get feedback from you. And we're going to ask you to be part of the solution. You have to modify your behavior to be part of this adaptive solution. We have to modify the plan to be a part of this adaptive solution. This is how problem solving works and, and change works in real time. Lasting change. It's not simply here's the plan. It's here's the plan. We need feedback. We need communication. We need to adjust things on our end. You need to adjust things on your end. Now, Oftentimes that is met with resistance because we are literally asking you to modify your behavior to be part of the solution. Let's get real. Most people don't like that. Most people don't like the fact that it's on them to modify their behavior to be part of the solution. Why? Because it is much easier just to take the plan that was given, follow it blindly, and then when it doesn't work, point the finger. Well, it's not my fault. I followed the plan. It didn't work. Screw you. You're a terrible coach, right? It's much easier to do that than it is to modify your behavior to be part of the solution. Because if you don't, you get to be the victim. And a lot of people like to be the victim. And I'm not saying, please understand, I'm not saying that you consciously want to be a victim. I'm not saying that you're like, ooh, today I'm going to be the victim. What I'm saying is that subconsciously, you put yourself in a position to be the victim by not by resisting the behavior modification because change is difficult and change is uncomfortable and change can be scary. And we are dealing with adaptive problems. So it does require you to be a part of the solution. I'll give you an example that everybody can understand. Social media. Social media fucking sucks. Let's not sugarcoat it. It's terrible. It's terrible for all of us, 
Okay. Social media gets a bad reputation for displaying polarizing content, right? Why does Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, why do they want to divide us? Why do they have to show so much polarizing content? What the fuck? Why are they trying to put us against each other and have us screaming at each other on on these apps and fighting and yelling and cursing and all the things? Why? They're terrible people. And the reality is that social media does that because of our behaviors. They are a data-driven business. So Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, they were like, huh, you know what? When we show polarizing content, people stay on our site longer. They stay on our app longer. They share more things. They get more users onto our platforms. They're like, interesting, let's show more polarizing content because our behaviors are driving that decision. We, myself included, are part of the problem. If we all modified our behavior to be part of the solution, they would change their algorithm. Now, are they innocent? Of course not, but they are making data-based decisions. They are making business decisions based off of our behavior. It's an adaptive problem. It's not a technical problem. It's an adaptive problem. We have to be part of the solution if we want that to stop. So now it's so much easier, right? So you hear that and you probably understand it, but isn't it easier just to point the finger and be like, oh, evil Facebook, they're showing polarizing content. They should be ashamed of themselves and point the finger at the villain while we get to play the role of victim. How dare they do that? But we are part of the problem. And it's not until we modify our behavior to be part of the solution until that changes. I'm going to give a a lighthearted example because I need to pull us out of this dark place that we're in. (laughs) A technical problem. I'm not getting in enough veggies. A technical solution. Order Organifi Greens juice, right? That's very technical. Problem, solution. It's black and white. You're not getting in enough veggies. One solution, technically speaking, is order Organifi Greens Juice. And it just so happens that I'm giving you 20% off if you order with our promo code. So you can go to Organifi.com slash POPFAM, P-O-P-F-A-M, enter code POPFAM at checkout, get 20% off their Greens Juice, right? Technical problem. I'm not getting in enough veggies. I need an insurance policy. Technical solution, order some greens juice from Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash POPFAM, get 20% off, use code POPFAM, right? I need something to help my wind down routine. Order Organifi gold juice. Easy, technical problem, technical solution. That's more of a lighthearted example. Now, Organifi just so happens to be an amazing company. And I actually do recommend getting their greens, getting their gold. Um, They have amazing products. You will not be sorry. Best tasting greens juice I've ever had. The gold drink, like the gold juice, but we turn it into a drink with some almond milk and some Cool Whip and make it this like glorious hot chocolatey drink before bed. It's, It's like the best thing ever. So I actually do recommend that you go get that stuff. Organifi.com slash popfam. Um, that's very technical though. 
when we're dealing with adaptive problems, it requires you to modify your behavior to be part of the solution. It's not just, here's your plan, go follow it. It's not just, here's your greens juice, now pour it in your water every morning. That's very technical. It's easy. It's black and white. You just do it. Um, that's your solution. Your, your problem was technical. You're not getting in enough veggies. Your solution is very simple. Now, when we're dealing with adaptive problems, it is dynamic and it's evolving and it's changing. So we have to have this communication and we have to have this level of behavior modification. Now, simply saying you're not compliant, you should do better. That's not how we solve those problems. Again, doesn't work. Compliance coaching does not work. If you're like getting graded on your compliance, if you're if you're feeling shitty about yourself, that was always the thing that stuck out to me the most when I was working with that other company is that people felt so bad about themselves. They were like, why am I such a failure? Why am I a mess? I'm hard. Like it led to such negative self-talk. It was really unfortunate um, because it doesn't work. We know that we have decades worth of psychology research to tell us that it doesn't work. Again, that doesn't mean that we can't identify a disconnect between what you're saying and what you're doing. It's just, we have to understand how to go about that. It's a collaboration. It's saying your ideal self that you identified, how do you feel like you aligned your real self with your ideal self this week? And then you might say, I don't think I did because my ideal self would have gotten to the gym three days. Oh, interesting. And you only got to the gym one day. Yeah. What do you think your ideal self would do about that now? Is there a way that your ideal self would make sure that you got to the gym three days this week? Well, my ideal self would probably schedule it in a calendar like it's a meeting that they have to show up for. Great. Do you think that your real self should do that? Yes. Now we've actually had a collaboration to modify behavior without saying, you're not compliant. You should do better. Do you see the difference? See the difference in that approach? That's coaching. That's the difference. It's not just, hey, you suck. <laughs> you aren't compliant. It's getting you to bridge the gap for yourself because it has to be your choice. Remember, behavioral, behavioral awareness is only step one. You can be aware of your behavior and realize that it's not serving you and you can keep doing it. Because you're an adult, you're a grown ass person that gets to make that decision. In my opinion, if you choose to do that, then you have no right to complain about where you are. But that's another, that's a whole other story. You have every right to say, you know what? This behavior is not serving me, but I'm not going to change it. You also have the right to change your words instead of your behavior. So if you are like, you know what? I really want to play the long game and be healthy and fit for life. But then you're super frustrated because you haven't made progress in like two weeks. There's a disconnect. You're saying one thing, you're doing another. Instead of changing your behaviors to match the long game that you say you want, you can change your words to match your actions. You can just say, you know what? Actually, I just want to lose weight as fast as possible. And I don't care how I get there. I want it to happen now. I want it to happen immediately. And I don't give a fuck how we do it. That's okay. It's okay to change your words to match your behavior. 
You don't have to change your behavior to match your words. I hope that makes sense. I really think that this is important because it identifies how we overcome some difficult things in our lives that are not serving us, but it also puts you in the driver's seat. You are in control. You should feel empowered. You should have the ability to do this. And, you know, again, if you're truly in a position of wanting to make that change, lasting change, part of this process requires, according to Dr. Richard Boyatzis, it requires a level of accountability and support. And so I highly recommend if you're at that place, if you want help, if you know you want to make a change, if there are certain things that you're doing that aren't serving you, reach out, get some help, find a quality coach who knows what they're doing. And you should be able to identify based off of this conversation, what that looks like. You should be able to know, am I just being told to follow the plan better? Or is this a collaboration? Now you might feel when you're being asked to modify your behavior, to be a part of the solution, you might feel a resistance to it because it's not as easy as just saying, well, I followed the plan and it didn't work. So it's your fault. I'm the victim, right? Remember, that's not, in, that's not a, a conscious thing. It's just what's happening in the background. You might feel that pull in that direction. So you have to truly be ready to embrace the discomfort, to modify your behavior, to be a part of the change because we're dealing with an adaptive problem. It requires an adaptive solution. It requires collaboration. It requires understanding your unique disposition. It is something that you have to commit to. And, and it's an infinite game. There's no finish line. There's no, you know, there's no point where you just make it. It's a constant evolution. If you're ready for that level of work, then you can reach out. Just go to neurotypetraining.com. If you go to the site, you can fill out an application. We will have the opportunity for a call. We will tell you if we think you're a good fit for what we do. You can rest assured that we implement this type of coaching. We won't just bark orders and tell you you're compliant or not compliant. That's not coaching. That's not what we do. We deal with an adaptive process based off of the individual. It's highly effective. It's why our success rate is so high. But, and the big caveat here is you have to be willing to make a change. You have to be willing to modify your behavior to be a part of the solution. If you're willing to do that, you will change your life. It will transform your life on so many levels. If you're not willing to do that, you will feel like a victim and you will point the finger. So be honest with yourself. If you want to make a change, Go to neurotypetraining.com, fill out the application. You should see it. Just click on one-on-one coaching. You'll fill out the application and you'll have a call with my team. Hopefully this was helpful. I would love to hear some feedback and I will talk to you guys very soon.